are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. I read a, a story a few years ago, and who knows, it might have even been true, that there were these two people who were kind of high up at Disney World, and they were standing in the middle of the theme park one day, and they were kind of... Um, you know, excited about all the accomplishments and as the park has continued to develop. And one of the employees says to the other one, um, you know, I wish in a way that Walt Disney could have lived to have seen all of this. And the other person smiled and said, he did. That's why it's here. And what the person was trying to say was that he lived with such vision And he dreamed such big dreams that he was able even to envision a future that he may never would be a part of. So I I love the word vision, but I like the word dream better. And I've been talking to you about my dreams for our church over these last few months. How I dream that we will become a place that is even more intentional about connecting people to Jesus than we are now. I dream about us becoming a people who says, I will make every effort, I will go to any length, I will do whatever I have to do to help people know Jesus. Because I want people to know Jesus like I know Jesus. This is my passion, this is my dream. And so, here's what we do. We sit around some days and we dream about it as a staff. And we say, think about all the people who go on mission trips every year. What if we begin to think this way? What if we said, can you go on a mission trip? Can you go to Africa with us? And you said, yes, I can go to Africa with us. Then what if we said, okay, here's what I want you to do for the next three weeks. We want you to pray really hard about a person that you know who does not know Jesus that might go to Africa with you. And so what if instead of it just being a trip where we go to help out the Swazis, What if we made it a trip where you really invested in another person and lots of prayer, invite them to go with you, and they go on a missions trip with you? And what if in that experience they met Jesus? So I want you to kind of respond. Now, you don't have to respond out loud. In fact, I prefer you don't respond out loud. But when I talk like that, How do you feel? So if you're saying, well, Rick, I I don't know what to feel. I'm not very good at being intentional about sharing Jesus with people. And I got a feeling that for some of you, there's a lot of guilt that you just kind of start heaping on yourself. I should do better. I should talk to people more about Jesus. I should be a better witness. I should pray for people who don't know Jesus because I don't do much of that. And and if that's true in your life, then I don't want to take that away. Maybe that's the way it is. But if in your mind, you've got to somehow find a way to be better and to do better and you're kind of out there on your own and you just got to figure this thing out, then I'm here to tell you that the Scripture calls us to a better way. You were never intended to do this by yourself. But we are supposed to be, as a church, united in one vision and one mission and that's the mission that Jesus gives us. And together, we lock arms as a community of faith and says, united, we're going to share Jesus with our community. 
That's really the message that you find in the book of Philippians. And so feel free to grab a Bible, open it to the book of Philippians in the New Testament. Go to chapter 1, and I'm going to start reading with verse 1, okay? Philippians chapter 1, starting with verse 1. So um, what I want to do for a couple of minutes while you're finding that is just talk to you a little bit about this letter, because that's what it is, an epistle, to the people who make up the church in a town called Philippi. You ready? So here's the way that works. Sometimes uh, I'll say to my wife, Annette, who works with me in the office here, or I'll say to a lady named Rhonda or to a lady named Tori, hey, I need to write a letter and I want you to help me, okay? And I'll stand there beside their desk and I will say this. I will say, I want to start with this and then I want to say this and then I want to say this and when I close, I want to make sure we say this, all right? And so while I'm talking that whole time, they're either typing or they're writing and then they'll say, okay, I'll write it up and I'll let you see it and you can tell me what you think. And so that's kind of how I dictate a letter. And so later in the day, I'll get an email and I'll have the letter. I'll read it. I might make a change or two and I'll pop it back to them and say, okay, let's mail it. So you got that in your head? 20 centuries ago, a missionary slash tent maker is thrown into prison because he has been disturbing the peace. It's really because of his faith. His name is Paul, and he's in the city of Ephesus. And you know what he does while he's in prison? He dictates a letter. Back to a town in Philippi, to a small group of persecuted Christians. And so he writes them for this specific purpose to this specific group of people. Now, the reason I'm saying that is this, that if you try to make any more than that out of it, it's just wrong. It's a letter. It's a letter written by a guy to a group of people that he loves very much. And, and in that letter, he never probably intended it to be any kind of a theological treatise. He just loves these people and he's trying to encourage them and thank them and bless them and challenge them. And so let's start with verse 1. Here's the way he goes, okay? Paul and Timothy. So he's saying, Timothy is here with me and we are servants of Christ Jesus. Really, the better translation is slaves. But not slaves like you and I think of slaves. This would be a person who is there by their own desire. What he is simply saying is, I made a decision. I'm going to spend my life for Jesus Christ. All of my energy, all of my effort, all of my resources, I'm going to spend it on Jesus. To all God's holy people, meaning set apart for God's service in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's the greeting. And then in verse 3 he begins the body of the letter. So listen closely to what he says. I thank my God every time I remember you. And all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy. And so you want to say, Paul, when you pray for the people of Philippi, why do you pray with joy? And he says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Because I understand that sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with people was never about me doing that by myself or on my own. I do that in the context of the community of faith. I'm not by myself. I'm surrounded by other believers who are sharing the gospel with me. Because you were never meant to do this by yourself. This is a burden you cannot bear on your own, okay? Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. 
Now, I want you to listen. It's called an epistle of joy, but it's also an epistle of love. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains, like I am now in prison, or I'm out on the street corners defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. So we're not only partners in the gospel, but we're partners of grace. The reason that we want to share Jesus with people is because we've received Jesus. The reason we want to be grace-filled to people is because we've received so much grace. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And then we get to see in his prayer life. And he, he says, this is what I pray. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. So that you may be able to discern what is best. And may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. This is God's word for us today. Nat and I took a little vacation with some friends from college. And uh, honestly, we didn't know them all that well. In fact, a few days before we left, we're thinking, this is kind of odd that we're going on a trip with them, don't you think? We don't really know them that well. But we had a really good time. One day we were together, just he and I, playing golf, and he started talking to me about his church. He's not a complainer. He's not a guy that grumbles. He doesn't talk bad about his pastor or his church. In fact, he's one of those guys that always has his sleeves pushed up and he's doing the hard work. You know, he's always the ultimate volunteer. And he loves God deeply. And he loves his pastor. But one day he just says to me, I don't get it. So what don't you get? He says, in our church, love my church. A Nazarene church of a couple of hundred people. We all love each other. There's good friendships there. I think we're growing some in our faith together. But I see all these other churches who are reaching lots of people for Jesus. And I get online and I listen to preachers and I hear the stories of how people's lives are being changed. He said, nobody in our church ever gets saved. Nobody's life is ever changed. He said, in fact, I think if somebody became a Christian at our church, we would all be shocked. Like, how did that happen? He says, I don't even think we're aiming at it. I love my pastor and we talk about it some and we pray about it some. But he said, Rick, I'll tell you, I've been in church all of my life. And I don't know that I've ever been to a church where that was the main focus. It was like we were doing lots of stuff. We had all kinds of programs and stuff and things going on and everybody was really busy. We needed lots of volunteers to make it all happen. But it was never, ever, ever about seeing people to come to know Jesus. So the antithesis of that is a guy in Swaziland whose name is Sipo. He's a district superintendent. And he has bought into the idea, the dream, that he wants to leave no community in all of Swaziland untouched with the gospel. And so he has identified on his little district 17 communities. 
And there's a group in our church of people, a family who has been very generous to him and said, we're going to help you and we're going to buy you this tent because he said, I want to go to every community with a tent. And we're going to have church every night of the week at that little community. And whoever is saved out of that community, that's going to be the people we start a church with. When you open the book of Philippians, you get this glimpse of these early believers who were passionate and urgent about sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with people. To the point that you read things like this, okay? Paul says, hey, I've landed in prison. I know this is not good, but it's happened and here I am, kind of stuck in prison. But guess what? It's working out to advance the gospel. I'm talking to everybody here about Jesus. I know that I'm in prison, but you know what? I'm passionate about one thing, and I have one mission and one vision in my head, and that is to share Jesus with people. And I'm sharing Jesus with people in prison. And so it doesn't matter that I'm in prison because it's not about me. It's about sharing Jesus. That's the goal of my life. And so today, we name our sons and our cathedrals after him. Because he had such an impact on the world. So let me, let me talk to you a little bit about this little congregation and what God did through them. Last Sunday, you were here, many of you, and we had some people on our platform who were part of the core team to plant the church in Midtown. And just like they did in Acts chapter 13, we laid our hands on them and we prayed for them and we sent them off. I didn't get to say this to you, but two weeks ago on Sunday night, you know, they come together at 5 o'clock for their worship service. Two weeks ago, 170 people gathered together for worship down at Midtown. Pretty exciting, huh? And then we got this other church that we're blessed to be a part of starting and it's in two lakes just a couple of miles north and god's given us a great pastor pastor thaddeus black and his wife lorraine and i brought a couple of pictures to show you i thought you might enjoy seeing them uh, the first one is just them coming together on sunday morning getting ready for worship and and they're only a couple of miles north but those people have never come to our church and we've been here for over a hundred years but when we started having church there they started showing up the next picture is some children at a at a little event where one of our class, a circle of friends, threw a pizza party for them the other night and showed a movie to them. And those are children in the community. That's got to make your heart glad when you see that. You've got to be proud when you see Thaddeus ministering to these people. And he's got some great help, Paul and Beth Wetmore, Rod and Kelly Bowie, Bowie rather. Um, and there's lots, Karen Gomez and Robbie Sarabi, and many people from our church are there investing in, in, in this community. If this picture makes you proud, the next one should make you nervous. This is Thaddeus driving the kids home after the party is over. You you know what the joy that I see on Thaddeus' face right there? It moves me. Because he is filled with joy. He and Lorraine love loving these people. And they're investing their lives in them. You know what I'm praying about? I'm praying about a Hispanic congregation. I believe that God is going to give us a Hispanic congregation before long. And also pray about other congregations that we might start. Here's the deal. When you think about this Philippian church, okay, and you're trying to understand it, just go back to that first picture in your mind of a little group of people gathering over two lakes. That's how it started. 
And so Paul had a strategy for sharing Jesus with people. What's your strategy? I think that's a good question. Paul had a strategy for sharing Jesus with people. Do you mind telling me what your strategy is? And here was his strategy. He would go to the synagogue and he would begin to talk people, talk to people about Jesus. But in Philippi, there is no synagogue. So here's the deal. One day, Paul is going on a second missionary journey. The year is A.D. 52. And he tries to go to this place, and the Spirit of Jesus would not let him go. And he tries to go to this place, and the Spirit of Jesus wouldn't let him go. Finally, he gets on his knees, and he begins to pray. And he has a vision of a man saying, come to Macedonia and help us. And Luke, as he writes the book of Acts, says, We left immediately, believing that God had called us to go there, to Europe. And they take the gospel to Europe. They land in a small town, not really a small town, a town called Philippi. Do you know who it was named after? Just guess. Philip, you guys are really on top of it. Do you know who Philip was? He was the father of Alexander the Great. It was a Roman colony, and Paul is going to go to the synagogue, but there's not enough Jews in Philippi to form a synagogue, so he goes to a place down by the river where they pray together, people who are God-fearing. And he meets a lady named Lydia. She was a person who sold purple cloth. She was a merchant. He shared Jesus. She becomes a Christ follower, and he baptizes her. Then there was a jailer who got really scared because an earthquake came and loosened Paul and Silas from their chains while they're in prison. The jailer becomes a Christian, is baptized with his family. And then there was a girl who was a slave. She was telling people's fortunes. Paul cast the demon out of her. She becomes baptized and she becomes a Christian. And that's the group of people that starts the new church. That was who Paul had to put on the field. That was the team. And God did incredible things through them. And so he writes them, and really four things happen in the letter. Here's what he says to them, four things, okay? Number one, he says, I want to thank you for your gift to me. What they had done was taken an offering, and they sent it to him by a man whose name was Epaphroditus. Thanks for the gift. It was the way they always treated him. And so here was the deal. When he left them in Philippi to go to Thessalonica, when he was forced out of town... They take up an offering and they send it to him and say, keep sharing the gospel, Paul. And when he goes to Corinth, they take up another offering and they send it to him and they say, Paul, keep sharing the gospel. And now he's in prison and he can't even care for his own needs. And they take up an offering and they send it to Paul and say, this is for you. I remember being in a church in Ayacucho, Peru. And I'm kind of shaking hands with people before the service starts one night. And I sit down. And I look up, and in the front of the church, there is a live chicken walking around. And tied to the leg of a chicken is a string. And tied to the other end of the string is the altar. And I'm looking, thinking, why did somebody bring a chicken to church? And all of a sudden, it clicked. That's their offering. They are poor. It's all they have to give. And you understand the people in Philippi, when they gave to Paul, they weren't rich people. They were poor. And they were giving out of their poverty. And he says, I know you haven't been able to give for a long time. It's okay. But I'm so thankful that you gave now. So that's the first reason. The second reason is he says, Epaphroditus, you heard God sick. He did. He's better and he's coming home. 
The third thing he wanted to say to them was, I want to encourage you because I know you're going through persecution. And I know it's hard. I've been beaten with rods. I've been whipped. I spent a night a day in the sea. I've been left for dead. I've gone without food. I know what it's like. I want to encourage you. And the fourth thing that he says is that you guys got to stick together. And he appeals to them for unity. If we don't stick together, what kind of a witness can we have? If we don't stick together, how effective can we be? And so he says things like this in the letter. I'm not making this stuff up. Hey, you two ladies, you need to quit fussing and get along. And I didn't say ladies because I want to, it was just, in, I'm just reading the Bible. Okay, it's just in the Bible, right? Just, it just happened to be ladies. And he says stuff like this. Do everything without arguing and complaining. And put the interest of others above yourselves. And throughout the whole letter you get this feeling of him saying, We've got to stick together. Because if we don't stick together, how are we going to do the vision? How's the dream ever going to become reality? How will we ever take Jesus to as many people as we can? That's what he calls them to. So... Got to go visit my little granddaughter this past week. Uh, I told people in first service, I have to be out of town for a couple of days next week. I have to go to Texas to try to encourage some pastors. And after yesterday, I'm assuming the people in Texas need a lot of encouragement, don't you? That's pretty weak, wasn't it? Seems like to me after yesterday, most everybody in Oklahoma is doing okay. But I got to go be with Sadie. And uh, my wife, her name is Annette, and, and she said, I want Sadie not to call me grandma or grandmother. I want her to call me Natty. My given name is Ricky, and I said, well, I want her to call me Ricky. So we'll be Ricky and Natty. You know? And so I got a video on my phone. I would be glad to show it to you after the service if you want to see it. But Sadie is 14 months, and so I say, Sadie, say Ricky. And Sadie says, Icky. And all of a sudden, Icky doesn't sound nearly as Icky as it used to. I love it. So I got up the other morning, and I could hear that Sadie was awake in her room, and I wanted to be the first one in there. And so I go, and I open her door really slow, and she's sitting there in her little bed, and her hair is disheveled. And she's wiping her eyes like this, rubbing her eyes just like that, like little babies do. And I walked over and I picked her up. Oh, my goodness. It is the most amazing gift. I can't believe the blessing of a grandchild. So there's a little rocking chair sitting there. See, see those of your grandparents, you get it. The rest of you are going, seriously, get on with the sermon. But there's a little rocking chair sitting there. And so I just sat down in the rocking chair. Sadie loves your phone, you know. She is a child of the age. And she loves music. And so I turn on some Carrie Job, And Sadie gets the phone in her hand and holds it really close like she does. And then she just lays her head over on my, over on my chest. And we just rock. Listening to Jesus music, you know. Do you have any idea how easy it was to pray in those moments? thanking God for this little gift of life and thanking God for what He is doing in her mom and her dad's life and the way they talk to me about how God is stretching their faith 
And I prayed over that little girl that God would bless her, protect her, and keep her. And somehow, (laughs) that experience changes the way I read chapter 1. Because I hear Paul say words like these, I love you and I long for you. You are my joy. I love you and I wish I could see you. You're the joy of my life. I mean, to me somehow that takes on a whole new meaning this morning. But that's the way he felt about these people in Philippi. They had stuck with him through thick and thin. They kept sending him money. They didn't have. They walked with him and he said, you are partners with me in the gospel. We're in this thing together. And you're witnessing to people in Philippi, and I'm traveling the country, and you're supporting me, but I'm not alone, and you're not alone. Together, we're locking arms because we are united in one mission and vision. And so then he just encourages them. I know that God is going to finish what he started in you. What God starts, he finishes. God's at work in your life this morning. I think there may be somebody here who needs to hear those words. You experienced grace, this good work of grace that God started in you. God is going to finish. You may be in a slump. You may be in a lull. Listen to me this morning. God is at work in your life. And if you're beginning to wonder, God will draw you back. If you're beginning to slow down, God will speak to you. God will do the work in your heart. God will finish what he has started in your heart. And then he just encourages them. And he loves on them. And you find this beautiful language throughout, throughout the book. You understand that, that Paul never called Christians to retreat from the world. So those people aren't like us, so don't hang around them. No, that was never Paul's deal. Uh, they do some things we don't do, so we don't hang around those people. No, that was not Paul's approach at all. Uh, Those people are not like us, so they can just do their thing and we'll do ours. That was not the way Paul approached life ever. Instead, he engaged people who did not know or believe in Jesus with the desire of them being reconciled to Christ. And so what is your strategy? How do you share Jesus with people? And do you ever find yourself backing away because people aren't like you? Paul ran to those people. Because he knew Jesus could change their hearts. Now, when I think about our world, did you see the news this week? Of course you did. Another shooting in a community college in Oregon. Many are dead, others injured. The brokenness in our world is overwhelming. You know, people are broken. People are hurting. People are lonely. People need Jesus. People need us to love them. And we've got all this love. And we know Jesus. (laughs) I want you to look at the words of Mother Teresa, would you? Just, Just let me read them to you off the screen. May I do that? Here's what she says. The greatest disease in the West, and she's talking primarily about the U.S. The greatest disease in the West today is not TB or leprosy. It is being unwanted, unloved, and uncared for. We can cure physical diseases with medicine, but the only cure for loneliness, despair, and hopelessness is love. There are many in the world who are dying for a piece of bread, but there are many more dying for a little love. 
And the poverty in the West is a different kind of poverty. It's not only a poverty of loneliness, but also of spirituality. There is a hunger for love, and there is a hunger for God. And you know Jesus. And there's people around you who don't. Dream with me. Just, just for a minute before I stop. And I'm going to stop, I promise. But just dream with me for a minute. What if? What if we really begin to believe the gospel really is for everybody? Dream with me about what God can do in you and through you. Dream with me about what God wants to do in me and through me. Paul prays this prayer. I want you to grow in your knowledge. I want you to understand who God really is and understand His love for people. And then I want it to affect the way that you live your life so you can be pure and blameless and full of righteousness. I'm not talking about a knowledge of God that has no bearing on the way you live. I'm talking about coming to understand God in such a way that it changes the way you live. And that you really do begin to take Jesus to people. And that as a community of faith, we become united in this one vision. And we begin to live as we've never lived before. And we never take mission trips again, but we take mission trips inviting friends who don't know Jesus so that we can share Jesus with them while we're there. And we look at Christmas Eve unlike we've ever looked at it because more people will sit in these seats on Christmas Eve who don't know Jesus than any other day of the year. And what if we begin to invite... What if we begin to invite people to coffee and to lunch and into our homes and into our lives and to faith conversations and to our church who do not know Jesus? And what if we became the kind of church that we dream about becoming? Just dream with me. What if we loved people? Like Jesus loves people. So, there's probably two groups of people here this morning. There's probably people here who say, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus. My sins are forgiven, He has changed my heart and my life, and I live to honor Him. I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. And I would say to you, unite with me in one vision. There's probably people here who would say, I'm not that you just described. I wouldn't call myself a follower of Jesus. I hang around some, but I'm not there. And I would say this morning to you, there's grace for you. And I want you to know Jesus like I know Jesus. I want you to be forgiven of your sin. I want you to have your heart changed like my heart was one day changed. I want you to find life like I found life. And so we have in front of us this morning an opportunity to receive His grace. Get this picture in your mind, will you? In a moment when you take a piece of bread and you eat it and you take a juice and you drink it, would you imagine in your mind that that is the grace of Jesus coming into your life in that moment? 
And so for the believer, it's grace to be who God calls me to be. And for the person who doesn't know Jesus, confess your sins and take that bread and that juice and receive His grace and His forgiveness this morning. So why don't you stand with me and those of you who are going to serve us, come now to do so, will you? In a moment, there will be a tray that is passed by you and it will have cups of juice. Take one. And after that tray is passed by you, you will find another tray that comes by you and it has pieces of bread. Take one of those. And then hold it in your hand until everybody in the room has been served. And together we will eat and drink as a family of God. The only thing that I would ask of you is that you are sincere in seeking Christ. And, and if it's that, you would say, I'm not really sincere in this. It's okay to let it pass. But if you are truly seeking Jesus this morning, please take the bread and the juice and receive His grace.
so Jesus took the bread with his disciples and he broke it and he said this is my body that is broken for you take it and eat it and then he took the cup and he said this is my blood my blood of the new covenant drink it all of you and be thankful receive your grace this morning we are so thankful empower us to be the witness that you dream about us becoming in Jesus name Amen so before the benediction let me give you some homework, okay? Some of you are like, oh, just give me the blessing. So here's the, here's the assignment. Philippians is only four chapters. It's a very short book. Would you read it this week? And read it again, and read it again, and read it again, and read it again. Just read the book of Philippians. Come to know it well. We're going to be here for a few weeks together. So now the blessing, okay? I'll borrow Paul's words when I ask God to bless you. And he says it this way, according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.